I'm Neil. And I'm Brittany. We are a family on a journey towards financial and location independence. Each week, we interview successful real estate entrepreneurs about their chosen investment strategy and rate it based on how much money it took to get started, how long it took to educate themselves, how passive it is, and whether or not they could do it from anywhere in the world. Welcome to the Road to Family Freedom. On this week's episode, we're joined by David Thompson, a multi-asset syndicator from Thompson Investing. If you like our show, the easiest way for you to give back is to leave us a rating and review on iTunes. Head on over to roadtofamilyfreedom.com slash review for links and instructions on how to do that. We would be so grateful. All right, enough out of us. Let's hit the road to family freedom. Mr. David Thompson, welcome to the Road to Family Freedom. Thanks, Neil. Nice to have me. Appreciate it. Yeah, it's great to always talk to you. So, uh, what are you up to these days, David? Well, uh, we're in year three of Thompson Investing, and uh, we, we started this process. It doesn't—I can't believe it's been three years already, but it's—it's uh, it's gone by fast. And uh, uh, we've been uh, very busy this year. We're finishing up our thirteenth deal. Um, we're working on our thirteenth deal. That we'll hope to have done next uh, month. Um, take a break for the holidays, but uh, the business just keeps evolving, finding new things to, to reach out to investors on and um, ways to educate them. And uh, it's, it's fun. I'm enjoying it. We can talk maybe about some of the more particulars uh, as we get into the interview, but uh, it's been a blessed year. Been, everything's been going well. Um, market's been favorable. <laughs> great. have some great partners I'm working with and, uh, um, and really enjoying growing the investor base and educating them on what's available to them. Great. Awesome. Listen, um, tell us a story about how you got into real estate. Well, uh, around 2012, uh, started uh, actively uh, buying residential rental properties around Austin, Texas. And uh, we got a handful of those. It was the right time, obviously, 2012. Austin, Texas, both uh, very favorable things lining up there in retrospect. And, uh, you know, we got to, uh, I guess, about 2015. I noticed those prices were getting more expensive and uh, cash flow wasn't as good. And I was really eager to leave my corporate job. I've been doing um, a high-tech arena for about 20 years and enjoying that. But uh, my kids were getting older. I had one in college and one in high school. They were very independent. And uh, I was, like, finding myself having a lot more time. <laughs> and I got with their friends, and I was thinking, okay, well, this has been – I really enjoyed – uh, that experiences when they were growing up, but um, you know, I now have a lot more time to do the things that we really want to focus on. We can add some value to. And so it was about 2015. I left uh, corporate America and, and found a, a world called syndication. Um, syndication was, was really the vehicle for me to allow me to to leave the corporate world and focus on something that at the time I didn't know was really my calling, and it was really um, around working with an uh, experienced operator in uh, multifamily apartment syndication that, um, you know, had a, had a young and growing company. I was looking for someone who could come in and uh, help them grow. And uh, I, I carved out a niche in that, uh, really working with investors and educating them on what their opportunities were investing in these types of vehicles. And uh, um, it, it just one thing led to another. And uh, now we're here in uh, you know, late 2018. I've I started working with them in 2015. I still worked deals with that company. Um, but then I realized as I was uh, growing my investor base that they had, uh, they had interest in other areas and we're wondering if we were offering any opportunities in some other areas. So uh, we've since grown. Um, I would kind of, uh, I would kind of 
explain our business is more like a small private equity company, a boutique. You know, we, we vet deals and operators and we selected a few partners that we like in about three niches of apartments, self storage and mobile home parks. Uh, for us, those three, if you do the research, um, have outperformed almost any other commercial real estate asset class of the last 25 years um, and uh, gone through downturns pretty well. So we've really just kind of morphed this business. Now we have a fairly large uh, investor base. Um, you know, we've got, uh, we've got an investor portal now for these investors to track their investments. Um, so it's a lot of things have happened in three years. But I realize that uh, I look back, I'm like, man, I wish I would have done this a little earlier. <laughs> uh, you know, still have a lot of energy in the tank, and I'm loving what I'm doing. You find you love what you're doing. You have energy you didn't think you had. But, um, you know, it's just a, uh, it's just a wonderful business. Um, I really love doing it. I love talking to people. And, you know, by and large, we don't advertise these deals. So people don't even know what's available to them. It's a great way to diversify their portfolio. And so, yeah, since 2015, I mean, I'm an entrepreneur, um, and uh, that wasn't really high on my radar screen at the time. It was just something that kind of I fell into uh, more from an investor standpoint. And then as I realized that, hey, there's a lot of people like me that like to know more about this. And so, yeah, that's where we are today. We've done 20 deals now. Uh, an investor portal tells me we've raised $46 million dollars. Uh, in over three years, we just finished up a huge one in Dallas, a $7 million raise, so it'll be put us at $52 million in investor capital, <clears throat> over 300 accredited investors. So it's a responsible, when I look at that, it's, 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 uh, it's motivating, but it's also a little heavier responsibility, <laughs> right? It's like, I really feel like I, you know, I really got to make sure these things, uh, you know, people know what they're getting into, these, uh, these deals on you know, good markets, good teams, and conservatively written models, and that, you know, we hope that we will exceed ex investor expectations over time. Right? So we're hoping that some of our listeners are going to be beginners. And for, for those of us, I'm, I'm still learning myself. Will you explain a little bit more about what syndication is? Right. Um, and I, uh, I do a lot of blogging on my websites because I, I know I have investors that are at all of those levels. Um, you know, beginners uh, thinking that I was talking to a lady last night. She's a, she's a physician in ER. She's been doing it 20 years. She's got four kids. She's divorced. She's uh, very smart, uh, but has no time. And she's like, Dave, I, I just, you know, I, I'm all in stocks or bonds, 401ks, IRAs. No one's ever even told me this is available to me. I came across something four months ago for physicians and passive investing. It sounded interesting. I've been doing my own research when I can. But, you know, at the end of the day, what is syndication? I said, well, on my blog, I have a blog. 25 frequently asked questions on syndication. So, Neil, we were talking before the interview started. You know, it's important for my business to educate people at all levels. I have some great elementary stuff that I think is great to start. But, you know, syndication is in its most easiest aspect is the pooling of of investor capital to go buy something that's hard to do on your own. Um, you don't have the expertise. You don't have, typically you don't have the time. And uh, it's a very competitive uh, uh, arena. Uh, there is a lot of opportunity to do well in this arena. And so there, you're gonna attract the best and the brightest. So instead of trying to do it on your own, why don't you uh, partner with others that know what they're doing? Um, you're, you're not having to give, give up your time. You're not having to take risks um, that you're not prepared for. And so um, syndication really allows you to participate in some pretty large real estate offerings. Syndication, you can syndicate anything. Um, you know, you can syndicate 
we have a craft brewery uh, operation in Phoenix, Arizona. I was just there last week. We celebrated our grand opening. It's a 17,000 square foot facility. We're, you know, I've been a partner with this guy for 15 years. We decided to get in the craft brewery business from restaurants a couple years ago, and it went crazy. And so we needed another facility. We're talking about capital raising for that. You know, we needed to raise a million dollars. And I was like, you know, there's probably some people interested in a little higher risk investment that, you know, is kind of a cool coffee shop table, you know, coffee table to conversation. You know, hey, I own a piece of a brewery. You know, it doesn't matter if you put 25000 and you own a piece of a brewery. You, have, you don't have to know anything about it. You might just like beer. Um, and, and, you know, so syndication is a pooling of investor assets managed by a group or, a, you know, usually a general partnership that uh, for them finding the opportunity, um, managing the opportunity and creating a higher value for that opportunity with the eventual goal of, of, of throwing off cash flow to the investor along the way and, with, and also a profit on a sale at some point. Uh, you can participate with experts that know what they're doing in, in great markets, uh, uh, looking at deals that are, you know, a good value play. And, and niches that have done well over time. So um, the lady I was talking to last night was like, well, you know, um, you know, I don't know you. I don't know how can I trust you, you know, all this kind of stuff. And, you know, that's a whole different conversation. So we did a blog at, you know, 10 tips on betting a sponsor and a syndicator. You know, what, what would you want to go do to kind of get into this space? You don't just want to just take the first person you talk to, right? So um, anyway, to answer your question, it's, it's very simple. We pool assets. We go buy big things, 20, 30, 50. We have an apartment we're just finishing up in Dallas, $50 million. It's a 2002 uh, property in North Fort Worth. It's an apartment. It's 15 years old. But even these kind of apartments need some renovation. You need to keep up with new construction. We can still offer that to uh, renters at a, a, value, a, a value play. We can still rent, you know, much cheaper than new construction, but have all the amenities of new construction. <laughs> you know, nine foot ceilings, resource style pools and everything. It's a great model. It's a very simple model. And, but these assets require, you know, a $50 million deal. You, it may require $20 million to pull together. Hard for individual investors to do that on their own, but these are great assets to invest in. So yeah, syndication allows uh, a person to invest maybe $50,000, but participate and get a share of a larger project and they don't have to manage it you know we, we keep people updated on reports and they get distributions in their account and they're pretty happy as long as things look like they're going fairly well but um, it's great it's great for people who want to participate but don't want to spend a lot of time uh, learning it and taking that risk awesome so as far as I know with a lot of these you guys are coming in and you're you're buying properties that need a little bit of um, either work or they can they can use some upgrading and then that's where the yeah. extra the money comes in where you make more money because you're upgrading them and then rents are going up or that kind of thing. Yeah, that, that's a very good way to describe it. And, and and you know I've always tried to find what's the great what's the right way to explain it to people. And I think for people really new to it, you know, you all see these flipping house shows. Uh, you know, and they, and they look really kind of cool and, and, you know, a lot of people want to try it themselves and then they realize without a lot of, the, of education, you can, you can not do so well. <laughs> the TVs make it look really easy. I made $50,000. <laughs> it's back on the weekends. Um, but, but, but the same kind of concept, we, we call these our value add. Value add means we're not just buying an asset to hold on to it. You know, we're not really, we want to create value for our investors to do that. We want to find an asset that's bought at a good value in a good area that if we were able to do a makeover, so it's uh, flipping an apartment, uh, we, you know, it may take a couple years to do that. And, and why would it take so long? A, a typical apartment we might buy is 200 units. 
okay? We buy proven assets, 95% occupied. So that means if it's 95% occupied, it's 200 units, you've got 10, only 10 to go renovate, fix up the kitchens, the bathrooms, you know, maybe to redo the floors. And you may spend anywhere from, you know, $4,000 to $7,500 to do that per unit. But we don't renovate when people are living there typically, right? So we have to wait for the leases to expire. So you can just envision a pancake. You know, we got maybe these 10 we renovate when we first purchase it. A month later, you know, 10 or 8 or 10 residents or the leases are expiring. We'll get most of those folks to go, hey, I'll spend a little bit more money, another $75 a month. And maybe you're getting them to 150 over two years, but they can see the value proposition. They like the area. They're already in schools. Their kids are in the schools or perhaps, or their jobs are close by. They know the area. Their friends are in the area. They really don't want to move. They don't want to move. And if you're providing a good value for them, the community wins. They win. The owners and investors win. If it's done right. Yeah, so typically, if it's done right. So, yeah, it's just kind of a makeover. Envision that. But it's for a larger asset. So it takes longer. It may take two years to do that. And at the end of two years, we decide, is this a good time to sell the asset? Or do we want to hang on to it a few more years if the market's down? Uh, we won't sell and we'll just hang on and keep making the distributions from the, the cash flow from the operations, right? Awesome. Well, you, you just brought up a point there that I think is important to hit on is that um, with a house flip, you're typically buying it and your goal is to, to resell it in, let's say, six months. And a lot of these house flippers don't have any other exit plan other than that. And they haven't bought it in a position where it's going to be able to cash flow if they end up having to hold on to it for a while. Whereas what I believe you're describing, you guys are buying it. It's already cash flowing. Um, And in the worst case scenario, you know, let's say the market turns and you're not able, it's not wise to do those renovations. um, Then you can just sit and cash flow. Correct. Right. Now you made some good points. So there's a lot of levers we can pull. Uh, If the market pulls back, we obviously are not going to sell the asset during that time. Uh, We're going to put renovations on hold. Why renovate, trying to get higher rents when the economy is not there to support that. Um, and then we hunker down and, uh, you know, just like I was talking about this yesterday, it's just like, a, you know, the storm is coming, you kind of go into a cove, let the storm pass. It's a little bit longer term for that one. It's a slowdown for a couple of years, but, you know, you just don't, you just don't do things you would normally do. Maybe you're not going to fish during that time, right? You just kind of hang out and not go out and venture some. So we, we just stop renovations. Um, uh, think about this on a, on a $50 million opportunity we're talking about. We may raise three or four million for renovations budgets, right? We may only be a million dollars into those renovations when a storm hits. Uh, that's a nice buffer for us. We're going to hold on. We have, we have cash, adequate cash reserve. You always want to go on adequate cash reserve. But the first thing you mentioned was really important. We buy proven assets. It really greatly reduced the investor's risk. So these big deals on paper, they've already the owner's already been making a million or two million a year. You know, and but he may be at the end of his his loan. He doesn't really have the money to renovate. He's already made his money. So you know, there's reason some timing issues where we come in and we're like, hey, we've got the budget to renovate. You know, this is this is our time to reset our our loan for maybe ten years, a nice fixed loan. And so that's why these owners sell. You're like, well, they're making money. Why would they sell? Well, just like anything, if you made your money and maybe you want to go out and really don't want to worry about this asset anymore, that's where value add people can come in and say, now there's if you if you were able to. Give us a little bit more of a facelift. Maybe add a few amenities uh, for the residents. You know, 15 years ago, maybe some amenity was cool. Dog parks wasn't really – I didn't hear about a dog park 15 years ago. Now everybody's got to have a dog park. So that's an asset. We, we go find some place, part of the property, and create the dog park. It doesn't really cost us a lot of money, but it's an amenity that we can add to value to the renter looking at comparing properties, right? 
Um, so those are the kind of things that we do. And they had covered parking in Texas for some reason. There's a lot of properties, not the 2002, but certainly in the 1980s, there's a ton of properties. That, there's no cover of parking. It's hot in May. Um, the first deal I did, I remember walking, uh, walking with the, the business partner around the property. I'm like, it's, a, it's like 100 degrees. I'm like, these cars are just baking. I can imagine, you know, being from Phoenix, you walk out and, you know, just, just like, it's like you're in an oven, you know. Uh, and people just put up with this. I'm like, hey, we can we can probably charge $25 a month and get covered parking for people. And, and we did it. And, we, you know, two or 300 units wanted covered parking on a survey, and we gave it to them. And I think we broke even on that in a year and a half from the construction piece, but that wasn't the point. We, we generated like $60,000 extra in revenue a year. It doesn't sound like a lot, but uh, how the math works in this business, it ended up creating an extra million-dollar network uh, – equity in the property <laughs> it's like wow just kind of keeping your eyes open for what people want that's fantastic all right so uh here on the road to family freedom podcast we're really big believers in the in beginning with the end in mind i mean you're you're about to be uh like not have any kids at home in the next couple yeah. of years right. what sort of is your destination where is real estate taking you because you're already pretty successful so what's what's next well, you know, I'm str- I struggle with that. I honestly, um, first of all, I didn't realize when I started the business would be where it is. It wasn't. Uh, I think it's your your vision and your explanation of being starting with in mind is great. Um, but I think a lot of people don't really know what that is yet because you don't don't know what you're capable of, right? I certainly didn't know. First of all, when I got out of college, I had a financial planning degree, and I had to go. Uh, the only people that would hire me was a early nineties and we had a recession. The only people that wanted to hire me were insurance companies <laughs> and they wanted me to sell whole life insurance and disability insurance. There's nothing wrong with those products, but it's not very sexy and I didn't do very well at it and I didn't really like it. I mean, if you don't like something, you're not going to struggle with it. Um, I, I preferred more of the equity type of discussions, but they said, well, that's not what we do. And uh, no one was hiring the brokerage companies at that point. So, you know, I, I ended up going back to school, but I had this mental block the whole time over 20 years that I didn't, I'm not a sales and marketing person. Okay. Uh, and so when I got into syndication, I realized I loved real estate and I loved the power of syndication. I really got that other people's money helping, you know, driving value. You know, I didn't have all this money to go buy my own apartment, but I could participate and I could be on a general partnership team. Uh, I can earn some from that, but I could also really start putting some things away for my long-term future. So that started me in the business, but I really had, if someone, if the, if my operator partner at the time said, Hey Dave, this is kind of sales and marketing. Are you okay with that? <laughs> I said, no, I'm not okay with that. I'm going to go find something else to do. Um, it was not that approach. It was like, Hey, you know, you like what you're doing here. Um, you know, just you like it. So if you like it, go educate investors on what you know. You're, you're much more knowledgeable than the average person on this. So just share that. I always envisioned my business as like, I'm investing in all these deals. I know what underwriting is. I know what a conservative written model looks like. I know a good market when I see it. I, I know a lot of things. Um, and when I started talking to people, I was amazed at how much they didn't know about that stuff. And then I was like, wow, this is cool. It's not like you're selling a house. It's not selling anyway, by the way, but let's just put it in that kind of framework or a car. Everybody's done it. Everybody's bought a house. Everybody's, most people, everybody's bought a car. They're kind of, they're kind of, if they see me and I'm, I'm talking to them about a car or a house, like, okay, I've kind of heard all that stuff before. <laughs> you know, so they already have a preconceived notion about you and what you could be saying. But with me, it was like, they, they're like, wow, what is this? Explain it to me. And the better I got explaining it, uh, I realized I had kind of a, a talent and niche in that, just, and I liked it. 
And all of a sudden I was doing a lot of it and I didn't have an end in mind at the time. I was like, I'm just, I love being out of the corporate world. <laughs> I have my own schedule, my own time. I can work on the projects I want to work on. I believe in these projects. And so all that was playing into, uh, I got this, that mental block away from me now. And, and today it's more about, um, thought leadership, which is I, I blog, I have books, I've got, uh, I'm educating people in a way that makes it simple for them to understand. And then when they're ready, we'll maybe have an opportunity that fits them. And I just explain the investment. They like it, answer their questions. And then I show the mechanics of how to get into it. It's that simple. I don't cold call anybody. It's through my thought leadership people program. People come to me. I have a website. I don't have to go out and really, you know, I'm not doing cold call. I'm not doing anything that I wouldn't want to ever do anyway. Uh, I'm just, I have relationships. I have a return investors. I have referrals and those things that just kind of build like a snowball over time. I've really had, you know, I always have maybe 10% new investors in every deal now. I may be bringing in 50 to 100 investors on a deal. And it's just a fun business. And um, and so now <laughs> it gets back to the name question, what do you think this business is going to go? Well, I keep adding things to the business that I see. Um, and I don't have this clear vision of where it actually is going to go. And the struggle I have is this. You know, you want to create an extraordinary life. Everybody wants to do that. Extraordinary life to me is probably not working the hours I work. I love it right now, but I, I, uh, I did 13 deals this year. I, I was always doing something and I have to get used to not doing something and, and enjoying that time. And so, you know, you know, with me, it's that struggle of, you know, how many deals do I want to do? And should I just do smaller, fewer deals, but bigger deals and be, um, you know, what do my investors want from me? You know, I always think about what is my investor base? There's 300 plus investor base. What are they looking for, right? They want me to be true, honest, integrity, of course, but they want me doing things that I believe in. And so, and so, so I want to make sure that I'm explaining to them all this stuff about how wonderful passive investing is and what it can do for your lifestyle. But if, if I'm not living that, <laughs> if I'm the, no, it's okay if you love it, you, you work that many hours, that's fine. But you need to find time to what is that extraordinary life for you? And I have, I'm right now in that thought, thought process of, of what is that for me? You know, what does that look like for me and how much time do I want to put into the business? How big does this thing want to go? Uh, I don't want to be content. And that's the struggle I have because it's human nature to want to keep growing. You know, the grow or die. <laughs> and so you do want to keep growing, but I got to figure out is growing, giving back more is growing. I have a team of people helping them grow their business. Um, you know, is, is it doing conferences and helping investors get more educated? I don't know. There could be a lot of different directions. You could do hundred million things, but I have to fit that into the confinements of what do I want for myself and my family and their lifestyle and, and all that. So yeah, beginning with end of my is what I'm working on. <laughs> uh, it's going to be more of a balanced approach. This year was a really, um, it got to a point where I felt that I needed to, to really step back and think a little bit about that a little bit more for myself. Yeah. You know, I, uh, I was at a capital raising uh, conference uh, a couple of weeks ago and sat down with a, a really, really successful um, investor um, who you and I would both know. Uh, I, I don't mention his name here. And he talked about, he said, one thing you need to realize with when you're raising private capital is that every investor you bring in is a, a customer service job that you're, you're putting for yourself. They're going to want interaction with you. And so at some point you are going to get to the point where you don't want 300 investors. You don't want a thousand investors. Um, you want 10 investors. Um, you know, and he, that's kind of where he's at. He's now at the point where I think his minimum investment is, is at least 500,000. I think it's more like 5 million. 
Uh, and wow. he, yeah. he just has, you know, and he's like, they're the kind of people who I bring up to my house, um, you know, once a year and, and we vacation together and it's that, it's that sort of level. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I work with, uh, I've got some peers in the business who have that model. Um, it's a small, they have maybe 25, 40 investors, but, um, they're very loyal and, uh, they have a lot of capital and, uh, you know, they have those kind of, he can get sit down and he get a phone call or a lunch with them and really explain what's going on. Uh, my investor base, uh, grew out of, uh, you know, I grew out of the high tech arena. Um, uh, I was a director level at Dell when I got out and I, I, I felt like my, my base, my network was more around high tech folks. I have a ton of people out of the, you know, California Bay area. Of course, Austin's a high tech area. So I kind of started my investment base that way. Uh, my, my wife being Chinese, she was big in the Asian community. So kind of, you know, that's how we started growing the business. Um, but we have a lot of, uh, return investors, and, and but you know it's kind of at that fifty fifty thousand dollars they just keep doing fifty thousand a lot of, you know and you know we I think the the issue I had not the issue but where I felt that you can get yourself a little bit more strung out a little bit is uh, you know I'm dealing with five operators I'm the general partnership on five operator partners we actually sponsored our own deal this year uh, Thompson Investing did um, there was a lot more work involved uh, and I realized I'm not sure how much I want to do that all the time by myself uh, with with some partner but. You know, it's it's it was a lot of deals, and I, I think you know your investors can get fatigued um, by seeing so many deals. Now they're good quality deals, but they can get fatigued by that, or you just got to realize they can't be participating in all those deals. <laughs> uh, so, so that's that's another reason I was thinking about next year. Maybe I'm doing fewer deals. Maybe I'm doing more six or eight deals. And um, you know, this year was kind of testing that. You know, what can we do comfortably? And uh, um, but you can succeed with both approaches. I wrote a blog article with, you know, Pete Rose, right? Pete Rose, you know, he was like a singles doubles hitter. <laughs> Very successful Hall of Fame. Got a little trouble at the end, but you know, so let's separate that. But I grew up in Cincinnati watching the Reds and the Big Red Machine when I was just a, just a young kid. And, uh, you know, you can succeed at this business in any form or fashion. You know, uh, I don't want to discourage people to say, I don't really have, I don't go to the country clubs. I don't know a lot of wealthy people. Well, you have to be, most people have to be accredited, but you'd be surprised how many people are accredited living on the East Coast. Uh, you know, you can be a first line manager making two hundred thousand dollars a year in those kind of markets, and you can qualify as a great investor. You know, uh, so so you can qualify. I just have a lot of those type of investors. I grew sideways more. I have some big investors from time to time, but um, big investors can make you nervous too. If they pull out of a deal, um, you got to scramble. So I, that's maybe that's why I kind of shied away from going that direction. <laughs> so. How did you go about getting yourself educated when you were starting out, when you heading out down this road, when you decided, you know what, real estate investing is uh, somewhere I want to go. How do, now, how do I get educated doing that? Yeah. I mean, obviously, you know, read, read, read the books, you know, syndication. Uh, if you, I, I would choose a, I would choose a niche. Um, I'm in three niches right now, but I started out in apartments. Um, that seems to be a lot of people can resonate with an apartment. We all lived in one, right? A dorm, <laughs> student housing, whatever. Uh, not everybody rented a storage device, uh, unit or not everybody lived in a manufacturing home park, right? But, you know, they're great investment opportunities when you understand them. But I would just start with a Start with an area that you think you can resonate with. Learn anything you, uh, you can about. There's lots of books. Uh, Bigger Pockets. I mean, it's, there, that was a good. Uh, there's a social networks focused on real estate, um, and uh, you know, uh, start getting in there and being exposed to 
um, experts are in those forums as well as novices, but just started getting, uh, seeing how people respond to, to these things, find people who are, are pretty good out there. I, I, I got a lot of my thought leadership there. I mean, I was more of an apprenticeship program, right? I didn't like read for two years and start. I was like, I kind of read about it a little bit and I started, I just jumped in and I was starting to work on it with a sponsor and operator and syndicator. So I got to learn a lot hands on, you know, doing due diligence, going to the properties, walking the, walking the properties, understanding the business plan, what's going on with the competition around us. Why is this business plan going to work? And, uh, you know, then I would go share those experiences in some of these forums and there's more experienced people in there at the time. But over time, the more you answer questions, you're now, it's like what they say, the teacher learns more than the student. That's what, that's what it is. At the end of the day, I was just, I was giving up a lot of information that I was sharing. Hey, how the syndication works. And then now if I'm, I'm operating with five different operators, uh, I can learn a lot of different models, but you know, I was just sharing a lot of information. That's the best thing. Just read a lot. Um, and the second step is get involved. I mean, you go to multifamily, meet, multifamily meetup groups. You can um, go to conferences. There's a lot of conferences on, on syndication and you know, get yourself exposed. I would give yourself like one year to just go out there and get yourself exposed to a lot of different things and then say, hey, does something resonate with me? Yeah, this kind of makes sense. And then get around people who are doing it. At the end of the day, it was getting around experts in the niche that you like and uh, see if you can do something for them. That's for right. no charge <laughs> yeah. even better <laughs> yeah well and and so now you, you sort of bring us into the next point which is um money you know everyone talks well in real estate you got to have a lot of money to get started and and uh yeah. so what um how did you go about financing your first deals and i know it's a little bit different you know mm -hmm. because you're in syndication it's a really different deal but yeah uh, but, you know, somebody who's sitting there going, well, God, how do I get started in syndication? How much money am I going to need to get started in syndication? Can you sort of talk to that? Yeah, I mean, investors are going to want to, if you're starting small, I don't know what that could be. Maybe you want to syndicate, you can raise a million dollars and you're going to go buy, a, a, you know, maybe a $3 million apartment. That might be kind of small in my world. I mean, if you get less than that, it's, you know, this syndication cost is going to worth it, you know. But I would say, let's say it's a million bucks. Maybe you, maybe you have 50 grand, 100 grand. The investors are going to love that you're investing in your own deal. I, I don't find it's how much you're investing typically. Another way to do it, maybe bring some partners in and say, hey, the partners in general are raising, you know, uh, we're raising together 200,000. Maybe we have two or three partners. Um, rarely do I just, you know, come out and say how, exactly how much I'm putting on. But, but as a general partnership, we want to be aligned with the limited partner investor and uh, we want to have skin in the game. So we're going to be investing. But, you know, that other 750000 can or 800000 could come from uh, friends and family and, uh, you know, coworkers, people that you know and have a relationship with, which is a requirement. And then, you know, getting some, uh, some folks to believe in you. Um, that, that's a good way to start. I mean, the, the, you know, getting capital. Syndication is all about not having to have a lot of capital anyway, right? <laughs> so, you know, if you didn't want to syndicate, then you're, you're going to go out and you're going to you know, raise that money with some partners and go get a loan and start small and then uh, you know, be trading up along the way. So you can be active without having any, any other investors in there. But if you want to go bigger, faster, syndication is the way to go because then you can start looking at bigger deals um, over time as you gain experience, right? As you gain experience. But um, I don't want to bounce around too much. But when you're also young looking for capital, I mean, uh, you know, try to join partners who've already done something there. And uh, it doesn't even have to be all those partners have to have that experience. It could be one partner that can bring some credibility to the team 
And oftentimes it could also be the property management company. You know, they have maybe a ton of experience doing these makeovers. Well, you know, if they've got 20 years experience and they're in the town that you are, well, you know, you're going to be putting them on your bio list, you know, uh, bankers, whatever you have to do to, to get you going, uh, it's available. And uh, you'd be surprised what, you know, people will trust you and, and believe in you, even though you don't have an elaborate track record. I mean, anybody who's built a track record started exactly where you were <laughs> with their first deal. You know, it doesn't have to be a super huge deal, but maybe go through that experience on a smaller level and then um, have success with that. And then, but bring in partners that know what they're doing so you can increase your odds and uh, get that capital raised because, you know, that's what the investor's going to ask. What's your experience? What are you bringing to the table? You know, are you bringing funds to the table, but you don't have to overemphasize your own funds. That helps. So I want to talk about how much time you spend on this, but I also want to do like a two-part question. So, because I know you're, a general part, you're part of the general partnership, it's your investing company. So I'd love to know how much time you're spending on that. And I'd also like to know how much time people invest if they're just an investor with you, because I think that's just as viable for people who'd be listening as they might say, well, I don't want to, you know, um, be a part of a syndication and a general partnership manager, but maybe I want to invest in this way. What, mm -hmm. what's that timing for, for those two? Yeah. Sides? I mean, from my own business, I, I probably, I try to, I try to take a day off, but there's always something <laughs> going on. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it seems like people are busy uh, during the week. So, you know, I will take, you know, some calls on the weekends and, you know, I try to avoid too many evening calls, but you know, um, I should, I want to be accessible to people. I try to limit my time. I even tell people, you know, if it's even it's the first time meeting, you know, just kind of 30 minute. And the reason I do that is more not for the it's it's for me because I get into it and I really start enjoying the conversation and I, I can go an hour or two. <laughs> I feel like I'm Tony Robbins. I can just keep talking and you know I I just have to. Reason. My wife told me one day you just gotta manage your time a little bit better on these calls. <laughs> so that discipline's helping quite a bit. But I you know it, this is interesting. I, I get up and I'm always I'm always thinking about the business. Um, it's a lot of uh, you know it's, it's it's answering emails. It's investor questions from anything from a new deal I'm working on to administrative things that come up. And now I've got support. My wife's working with me in the business part-time. She does the books and she's got the, um, she had, we have an info at thompsoninvesting.com. She's able to uh, take care of a lot of uh, things that, uh, you, you know, I don't have to take care of anymore. And so uh, the business expands. I have to keep thinking about ways to make it more efficient, but you know, I, I could easily think that I don't really put hours to it, but I feel like I'm working every day in the business on something mm -hmm. and, uh, but I'm loving it, right? So don't feel like I'm working, right? Like, I mean, that's, you've been doing, if you do something you really enjoy, like, remember as a kid, like, I don't know, whatever I was doing, it was something fun. If I was playing out torch or something, mom always has to call you back in, you know, it's always dark, you know, you come back in, you know, playing baseball, whatever I was doing, it's like, I feel like this, like when I was working in the corporate world, I like, there was aspects of the job I like, and I love the people I worked with, I traveled all over the world, had a really amazing job, but I always had to be somewhere, not on my own time. Like I, I had to be in meetings, Sometimes I think we're not really that productive and, and sometimes I have to have meetings with people I really didn't want to have meetings with in your own business. Um, you know, I've, I've come across investors. I just tell them we're not really a good fit, you know, and uh, it doesn't happen a lot, but you know, there's, there's people that take a lot of my time and I'm like, it's not really worth it. I don't really feel like, you know, this is a passive investment. <laughs> you know, that's passive. It means like you're really busy. You're probably good at what you're doing. Uh, let us handle this over here and I'll explain it to you. From an investor standpoint, it's meant to be low time consuming. Um, so on a typical deal, 
I don't know how much time you have to evaluate things. I typically will get, I'll send out a information. People like it. They want to see more information. They'll review the deck. Uh, maybe it's a 30 minute call, uh, answer some of their questions. Hey, they're in, I want to commit. Um, we'll send them some paperwork to review called a PPM, a private placement random review that feel comfortable with it, sign it, fund it. Um, we close in the property maybe a month later and we're giving you monthly reporting typically. And it's an email monthly report, email, five bullet points. And what's the, are we getting the rent that we expected or greater on what we renovate on this uh, makeover? Um, what's the occupancy level? Um, Hey, here's some pictures of the, the work that we're doing. Um, that goes a long way for investors. They feel like they're getting a touch from you, but I don't get a lot of questions on that. Typically it's just nice to know. They just want to know. And then uh, of course they're getting their distributions every month or quarter. Um, I probably get more questions around that. <laughs> You know, hey, I didn't, you know, especially in the beginning when they, they may not be set up on direct deposit, you know, it's like they got, the check takes a bit longer to get there. I like, go on, go on ACH, go on direct deposit, please. I don't really have to deal with those questions, but we, of course, we'll, we'll handle that. But we try to, we try to get those back to the operator, uh, you know, to handle that. They usually have an admin person that can take care of them efficiently. Um, I gave investors a portal this year. I'm very excited about because I started getting investors who are, had four or five deals with us. I'm like, Dave, you know, I've be nice to kind of track my distributions and my digital investment and maybe yeah. some reports. And so that was really exciting. We just launched that. Um, we have 20 projects in there and uh, you know, starting to get a few questions on that because it's just you're rolling out. People are trying to get comfortable using it and, and that kind of thing. But I'm trying to find ways to make that customer experience very simple, very much. They own it. They can go into a portal or they can get things answered to a, a faster, you know, info at Thompson investing. We can answer their questions, questions a little bit quicker. Um, so as the business grows, you want to get some more support around it. But from an investor standpoint, you could be really low touch. I had one investor call me every day. So I didn't really, I just, you know, once in a while I look and I see the money going in there. That's great. And that, I think most investors are like that. As long as the money is coming in and they kind of see that they can look at these reports and hey, it looks like things are going pretty good. And you know, we don't do really an annual investor conference call or anything like that. Most of these are operators. No, it's just like, you know, we're, this is the plan, you know, it, and it's supposed to be passive and, and, um, you, you know, we want to keep you informed and, um, you know, if, all, if things are going well, I typically don't get many questions. And that was kind of an amazing thing for me. I thought we were going to get tons of questions. But we don't. <laughs> Good. That's awesome. Are the, you know, you mentioned the, um, the investor portal. Are there any other systems um, that you've developed to help you sort of automate your business? Well, uh, I use MailChimp. Um, and I think that's a service that uh, I like. It's, uh, it really helps with my investor list and automate things. It helps me from my because we actually uh, co-brand the, um, the reports and I'm able to, to have more of a, a Thompson investing touch on those and I can add some things to those reports. So MailChimp is a really nice service. You know, I have a, I think my distribution list is now over 800 people. So, you know, I sent out the, I sent out a monthly newsletter. Um, it's great for, it's great for that, you know, and, and I can actually now it's interesting. These, you learn things about technology. Like if I blasted out 800 <laughs> newsletter, 800 people, a lot of it would go to their junk mail just because the servers are out there are like, okay, that's too many people. We don't see that many people. So that must be junk. So MailChimp allows you to do this drip thing. So like 20 investors out of 800 every five minutes starting at, I don't know, at two o'clock in the morning, it takes maybe three over three hours now to get the newsletter out every five minutes, 20 investors, every five minutes, <laughs> my readership's gone up. Uh, it's already pretty good, which is amazing to me, but it's, uh, readership's gone up. 
I, I have a, a CRM, a customer relationship management tool. It's not too bad with MailChimp. I use that, but I could probably look at some more sophisticated ones. Because it's nice to know when an investor is getting ready to have a call with an investor. You can the, 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 my my portal actually is, is is even better now. My portal, I can put their name in, and I can see all the deals that they're invested in, how much they've invested with this. So the portal is helping me get a little bit more mainstream and simplified with that. Um, and I have their address information, things if I want to send them something, you know, so that's helpful. But uh, yeah, I don't really use social media. That's something I'm exploring. I don't know how it works in my business. You know, we have to have a relationship with investors. I could build something like that, but uh, I'm mean, gonna build on something like that. But you know, getting back to that one question, what's the end in mind? <laughs> I had a sales and marketing person. She's a fabulous a friend of ours. She's a consultant. And, yeah, you know, she's, she's very expensive to work with. I was talking to her about, hey, we can use my ideas. I mean, I don't, it's not expensive, but for me, I was like, wow, it's a small business, you know, because she's used to dealing with medical companies and she'll go in and provide marketing. But that's what she, I was talking, explaining to her, my business for about an hour after coffee, and she goes, you know, I think we could we could really drive a lot of traffic to your website, and uh, I'm excited to show you how to do that. And uh, she says, but be careful what you ask for. <laughs> so I'm like, you know, today I have a really nice – I think it's a nice volume. I, I probably, you know, through my websites where I get most of the new people coming through me and they see blogs out there from me. I don't know, some bigger pockets it's on my website. I'll blast it out maybe to LinkedIn once in a while. Um, I, uh, I'm a member of the Forbes Real Estate Council now. Um, I just, uh, it's an invitation only thing, but I joined it recently. I like that. I, I, so I get some features I can write into, into Forbes and I got one featured article on there recently. Um, so I just try to expand my reach and then that drives people to my website. Um, that's about the efficient thing that I do. And uh, I don't go, like I said, I don't cold call. I don't spend a lot of time going to meetings. You know, I don't like driving around a lot. I don't, I don't really attend a lot of conferences. It sounds kind of bad. I probably, I want to, I want to make an effort to do more of that. I've spoken at a few, but people seem to get to me and uh, in a good way. And um uh, I'm happy with that volume that kind of comes through. It's manageable and the business just keeps growing. I don't feel like I need to put it on steroids. I mean, it's, it's this big text thing is big everywhere, but I'm like, you know, it, you don't want the wheels to fall off either. Um, and I don't want my health to go in a, in a, in a different direction <laughs> right now. It's good. Uh, but you know, I, I find days where, you know, we maybe I, I did a couple times this year. I was doing three deals at one time. I'm managing teams of people and, um, and uh, lots of investor questions and, you know, and I got the portal coming up. We got questions. I just like, you know, it was to a point where I'm like, okay, this is not the pace. I want to, I want to be doing the pace like this. Okay. So uh, there's going to be times in your life or your business where you have to go through that. But I'm like, that's not sustainable. It's not healthy. Um, and, and the people that you like and love around you and your investors that I care for and, and want to be able to communicate in a, with high energy, um, you know, they, 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 they want your time. They've invested with you. So I don't want to lose sight of that, that most of those people are return investors and I don't want to lose sight of, I didn't have the energy to go to that property and do all the deals I wanted to do, or I didn't have a time to really explain uh, the opportunity to them in a way that I think they would have really resonated with them. So, yeah, I, I like your idea. Maybe, uh, you know, fewer investors uh, is not a bad thing and the right investors and the right pace. So um, where are most of your investments? Are you investing mostly in Texas where you're located or are you long, doing long distance investing? Yeah, um, my big thing is to get investors exposed to a lot of different geographies um, in three different niches right now that I like, the, uh, the, the departments and storage and manufacturing home parks and uh, 
and also um, so, so geographies, niches, and then different operators. I think that reduces people's risk. You know, you don't want to have one operator, all your investments in Dallas, Texas, in one niche. I mean, it may go well. We hope it goes well, but I'd rather see you in with three or four operators I work with and maybe some different geographies and some, you know, some different niches over time. Uh, but to your question, uh, Texas is a great economy. Um, I just had my newsletter I put out a couple days ago, and one of the articles I had in there was uh, six things that make Texas a dominating economy. I mean, it's just un incredible. And so we have 16, we have 16 of our 20 investments in Texas, 12 apartment deals in Dallas, three in San Antonio, and one in and soon to be Austin. Um, we also have an apartment in Albuquerque, and we have three self-storage uh, deals in uh, Florida, two in Florida, one in Georgia. And then we have a, uh, uh, the manufactured home park operator who's got the parks. They're in Phoenix right now, but they're expanding nationwide. So that'll allow our investors to have, uh, you know, in a pool of assets across a lot of different states and economies. And, uh, um, and, and so that's kind of cool. So uh, my goal is to kind of go that direction. Uh, but right now, Texas has been doing so well and still seems to not have any kind of a, a medium term or long term any indication that wouldn't do well for us so you know jobs are kind of coming here in a big way from more expensive states it's a business friendly state and uh, low cost of living relatively speaking especially from the coastal states so you know you know companies are continuing to move here employees can be paid uh, you, you know what's right for the economy here and it saves them some money and there's a lot of talented folks here. I mean, there's a lot of uh, big universities here that they can tap into local talent. And, you know, I think, uh, I think it's going to do well for a while. Yeah. Well, and you bring up a good point about diversifying across geography, asset class, and operator. Um, mm -hmm. That's something, um, uh, I'm not sure whether I learned that from you or somebody else, but uh, I've heard <laughs> you say that before. So, yeah, I mean, I think uh, I learned that from, from uh, some, some peers of mine. I think of, I met Jeremy Roll used to, we both know him. He used to mention that to me and uh, he was a very experienced syndicator still is. I, I, uh, from an education standpoint, got a lot out of that. I was like, that's, that's me. You know, I grew up with financial planning mindset. Diversification was important. I've ever seen an investor put 50,000 in 10 deals with me than 500,000 in one. I felt I could sleep better at night, <laughs> you know? And, uh, you know, I think their odds are better. Uh, you know, I would say, I don't know what the odds are. If we do 10 deals and eight of them kind of get in and around what we expected, one blows it out and one doesn't do very well, you're going to do pretty good. Nine out of 10, that's 90%, you know? And then, if you put all one, all of it in that one, it didn't do well. We're not going to have a lot of happy conversations with you, I'm sure. <laughs> so, how often are you visiting your the properties that you guys are investing in? Um, so, I'm in Dallas. Uh, we have twelve, I got twelve of the deals there. Um, so, I'm up there quite a bit. Um, we, you know, we have an asset manager that you know reviewing those properties weekly with the property management companies, and we get reports on that. A lot of the operators that work with cluster. So if I'm in one part of Dallas, uh, for instance, uh, there's three clustering nodes, uh, one in North Fort Worth, one in a place called uh, Richardson, which is Northeast Dallas, and then one now Southeast in Duncanville area. And so uh, my, my, my daughter this weekend, uh, she's got a swimming meet close to the, the, the Duncanville area. So I'm going to drive over there and check out the property. You know? Not a formal tour, but just drive by, kind of see what's going on. 
Uh, we can always take investors to these like within a three-day notice, just kind of get the property management. We can always take investors there. I'm actually meeting an investor from uh, California this weekend who uh, wanted to meet me in person, and I need to be in Dallas, and she wants to meet with uh, – she wants to look at the one property she's investing in with one operator, and then she's also going into our manufactured home parks deal, so that operator is sponsors in Dallas. So we're going to have lunch with her. So I just try to find ways where I can – take advantage of things, but you know, I'm probably typically touching the properties or that area a couple times a year, but the asset managers are, are usually that we're, you know, responsible for overseeing the operations, giving us the reports. Um, you know, we're, we're in touch with them monthly because we have to get the reports out. So. Yeah. So you're really, if you say wanted to start traveling a little bit more, you would theoretically be able to run this business from anywhere in the world because you have that team in place that, is going to yeah. give you reports. Yeah, that's important. I mean, that's another thing with syndication. It's a team game. It's a team sport. I think that's good uh, from a standpoint of, uh, you know, the lifestyle you're trying to create. Uh, you know, surround yourself with good people, make sure they're executing. And like any business, uh, you do have to follow up to make sure that things are going well. But, you know, it shouldn't be a thing where you're, um, you know, you're micromanaging them. They don't like that. And I never liked that when I was uh, working in the corporate world. You know, I want to surround myself with really good people and let them empower them. And, uh, but you know, you still want to follow up, make sure things are going well, get them the support if they need, there's some corrective action stuff we're working on. But, you know, by and large, this isn't the type of business where, you know, I want, I, w- I didn't want to design my business around that. Like I have to be somewhere. Um, and I, I should be able to, you know, most of my business is on the phone and, and emails and, and, and that's good. I could, I could, you know, we went to uh, last fall and my wife and I took the kids to Sydney, Australia, and New Zealand. I was out of the pocket for 18 days and, you know, we, uh, I think we were, we actually had a raise going on, but you know, I could even get up in the morning and or wherever the, the hours were and just answer a few questions. And, you know, I, I told people I was, I was traveling. So unless we really need to talk and I had a few conversations, but it did not at all disrupt my vacation. Uh, and I was like, this is great. I can do this. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. Um, what do you believe is the most critical skill for, uh, a syndicator to have uh, that would allow them to be successful? Yeah, I mean, it depends, it depends where you are. So if someone's been doing it a long time, uh, you know, they're trying to build a business, you know, uh, my number one thing, we've talked about a couple of times already on the fall, is, uh, is the ability to, you know, for my business, it's vetting. I just wrote, a, my Forbes article was this. They asked me, you know, what was the number one thing that was most important to you? I said vetting partners. I have a, you know, I have a, a special report on my website, um, 10 steps to vetting a partner because investors need to know if they're working with me and somebody else, you know, what, what's my background? Mm-hmm. Uh, how would you vet a sponsor? You know, so I've been very successful and fortunate. Someone asked me the other day, said, you know, it just seemed like you, it was a guy who's pretty successful in business. It's my observation of looking at your website and talking to you is, you really lined yourself up with the right people. And I said, wow, you know, I really appreciate that. And uh, I don't know if that was, I think part of that is being a good reader of people. You know, you, I was a really good reader of people and just saying, you know, I can, I can work with this person. And after 20 years of the corporate world, I was like, I can pretty tell you who I can't work with, who I can. And where my skills complement because I don't want people, my skills are extroverted. I've bartended in college. I, I love to talk to people, educating people. That was my skill set I could bring to the team. Other people are a little bit more analytical. Yeah, I need to understand the underwriting. I need to understand the financials. I need to understand. But I don't like to get out in the car and go look at all these deals. I don't really don't like to do that. If I was to look like a needle in a haystack. But there's people that love that. They love people finding that deal. I'm like, I want to marry up to you. You know, I'll provide this support for you. 
I think you can get yourself going fast by knowing what you want to focus on, what area, surround yourself with the best people, work with those people best you can, and you know, find a role that you think you can fulfill that fits your talents and interests um, and, and you get excited about. And then go find the other people that don't, you don't like those skills or you don't want to develop those skills. The worst thing I heard growing up, and this wasn't, you know, not, not, this isn't anything from my parents or anything, just I heard growing up was in our generation at that time, it was like, you know, focus on your weaknesses and, and your strengths are just your natural. I think that's crazy. You know, I read this book called Strength Finders 2.0. It's a great book. Go read it because it was like, heck with that. Go focus on what you're really good at and get better. Because if you're good at it and, you're, and whatever that is, you probably love it. You're probably, you're probably really, it's easy for you. And if you got a little bit better at it, you'd even love it more, you know, because people would say, wow, you're really good at that. And what, we, what they do is, no, they say, well, if you're not really good at this, go spend some time. I mean, if it's really bad, okay. <laughs> You really got bad people skills, okay? Okay, yeah, I could take some courses. <laughs> but I mean, for a typical person, I think we we kind of say, you know, we point out things that they're not good at, or, or or harp on that, or just say go try to figure that out, and they don't like it, and they don't they're not good at it anyway. Even if they got the expert help, they spend too much time wasting over there. Um, you know, assess your skill sets. There's all these kind of tests you can take, but you know, for me, it took me a long time to find out this is what I'm really good at. It took me, you know, I went, I have two college degrees, I have a master's. Uh, I was trying to figure out, I went to five colleges, three different majors. I tried to figure all this stuff out. It took me a long time to figure it out. And then I got into the corporate world and 20 years of that, I was, I was doing a lot of interesting things, but I knew I never really loved it. I was like, you know, it's like, and then, and then I, I, I ran into this thing and I'm like, it's like, you know, I give it anybody advice. Um, I know I look healthy. <laughs> I am healthy. Uh, I take good care of myself, but you know, uh, I wish if I was 30, um, I knew what I know now because I would be like, it'd be no tomorrow. And, you know, I'll be doing this for, I'll do this till I, till I, till I, till I leave this world. I mean, I just, it's not work for me. It's what I should be doing. My end of mind is just to keep doing what I'm loving to do and just keep adding layers of, you know, maybe more professionalism, maybe more customer experience things, maybe, maybe some new niches, you know, evolve, but, you know, just get into something you like and surround yourself by good people and focus on your strengths and just, let that go for it. You know, the only time people tell you you can't do something, if you love it, <laughs> you're going to do good at it. Right? All right. So we've kind of, to follow up on what you've just said, um, if you were standing in front of a room of uh, aspiring real estate investors, and these are people with full-time jobs and families, because that's really, I believe our, our main listeners will be, right. um, and they're just starting out they're maybe battling fears and doubts, lack of time, maybe lack of money. What are two or three strategies that you would recommend they focus on to best ensure their success? Well, you know, and you get that a lot with new people trying to evaluate you and can we trust you? And then do you know what you're doing? And uh, some, uh, I think there's different categories. One of it's risk, right? One of it's risk. You know, if they're talking to me, I've already vetted them. They're, they're already accredited. <laughs> <laughs> right, so they have some certain level of net worth or uh, or income that qualifies for these opportunities we're talking to them about. So let's just say it's not money, um, but the good stewardship of that money is important to them. So they want to make sure they're not going to lose that money. So I'll, I'll typically focus on risk, and then I also typically tell them make it, if they're going to move forward, um, you know how this is all going to play out. You know how we're going to keep them informed and uh, you know what to expect because it's not just you saying I want to do this deal and giving you the money that people want to know what to expect. So I make sure I always cover that. 
you know, uh, hey, we're going to close here. You're going to hear from me on this close date. You're going to hear from me. So I really think people want to understand the mechanics of it as much as the understanding of the deal itself. Mm-hmm. But I try to focus on things that would resonate with them. One of my favorite things for apartments to talk to them about is risk. And I say, do you know that in 2009, we had the stock market crash? Oh, a lot of financial things crashed. Real estate even crashed. Everything crashed. And uh, it was one of the worst uh, financial disasters of our lifetime. Do you realize in 2009 that one, only one out of 200 apartment owners were delinquent in their mortgage? And about one in four and a half to five uh, single-family homeowners were behind on their mortgage. So just by that, apartments are 10 times safer to invest in. They don't know that. They're like, wow, I didn't really realize that. I also tell them that in every deal we're showing them, we do a sensitivity analysis. Simply, we just say, listen, let's stress this thing out. What if our forecast is wrong? What if the occupancy was only 80%, but you tell me the apartment's at 95% for the last three years? What if it goes to 80%? I'm like, well, do you know in Austin, Texas, the apartment we're doing right now that in uh, 2009, and we have all this data from third-party real estate agencies that the lowest occupancy got in apartments was 87%. And if we got down to 80% on this deal that we're still making 4 or 5% on your money, uh, those are pretty powerful. And uh, so I point that out. Most people want to know the risk. And then I also pre-wire them on this, on this private placement thing because I remember my first deal, I wasn't even doing this as a business. I was with a financial advisor when I left the corporate world. And I was just like, you know, what else, what's out there? I, I've been talking to these people for a while. And they laid throws a real estate deal across my desk as one option. And I remember she said, take that home and let me know next week if you have any questions. And it, it was a big hundred page legal document. And the first six pages were like, how this investment is going to kill you. <laughs> I was like, Why would everyone do this deal? You know, so I do pre-wire people because I'm like, you know, I just give you all these facts about the risk is not as risky if you're dealing with, a, in a, if you're these apartments in a, in a good, strong growing market, they're purchased in a relatively good value. They're with an experienced operator. It's an asset class that's proven itself over 25 years and looks like the future is, is, is even going to be better, as, as good or better. And I can give them that kind of picture. That's the biggest thing, I think, for most people. It's the trust in you and, and what your kind of track record with these group is and, and then the story what could happen to them. They just want to know what's the worst thing can happen. And I tell them the worst thing can happen most likely is you could lose, not most likely, the worst thing that can happen is you could lose the money that you invest in, but it'd be very remote that we would do a capital call. I mean, it just would be very remote and that you would have to put more money in or that we could come after your app. You can't be your limited partner. You can't be sued. You're not on the loan. You don't have to worry about paying the loan back. So I really try to help them understand what that limited partnership um, role and responsibility is, and it's you're, you're not as you're not as responsible. You don't have a big role as a general partner, right? So, you know, I want them to let them know it's passive. Here's how it's going to work. Here's some examples of where we felt that we got through some pretty tough times and can survive. We, you know, we wouldn't renovate as we mentioned. We would hunker down and, and get through tough times. We just wouldn't sell. So you can paint a nice picture over 10, 15 minutes with these people, and that's how I get people to go. Now, once they're ready to invest. Even if they want to invest 100000 with me and the minimum is 50000 I'm like, you know, this is your first investment. Why don't you think about doing fifty? And we'll have more deals. I did 13 deals this year. You know, maybe think about not just this transaction. Maybe think about the end in mind. Yeah. Where do you want to be in three to five years? Do you want to do a couple deals a year? Okay, well, let's, let's not put all your eggs in this one deal. Let's, let's, let's put some here. So my goal is to educate investors and try to get them in a prudent entry, entry strategy. I'd rather have them over the long term, comfortable, 
spread out a little bit and good deals than to just go all in and say, is this going to work or not? And be stressed and not sleep at night. Yeah. As a follow-up for someone who maybe wants to do what you're doing. So actually be the person that is finding these investors and maybe being a general partner on a, on a syndication. What are some of the strategies that you might recommend for someone starting out in that arena? Yeah. So I, I have a, I do have a coaching and mentoring program around that. Cause I, I think there's a lot of people just say that say, Hey Dave, you know, how do I get in this business? And uh, you, you know, for a while I would send them to some people that, you know, had these programs end to end, you know, how to find deals, manage the deals, just like the whole thing. But I find that most people that I, I talk to, they have day jobs and they have families and they, they want to participate above this limited partnership investment level. They want to get involved. And I, I find the capital raise side, uh, one of the easiest ways to fit in. Um, it's not for everybody, but I think if you like to educate people, you enjoy that experience and you're kind of excited about you know, hey, I, I'm doing these investments. Now I'd like to, you know, maybe I got some other people I talk to about this. They like this thing. I'm like, well, you can make some money doing this. <laughs> you know, because everybody needs money. Everybody needs capital. I don't care how experienced you are. We're doing some really experienced operators and uh, I'm on the GP side of these deals and they're like, you know, well, we're going to do bigger deals, Dave. We'll do more deals, but, you know, keep bringing, keep bringing the capital. Um, it's not just, you know, people just starting out. Everybody needs capital. Even the big companies, they all need capital. So, uh, for me, it was, uh, if you had a network or some kind of a network, it helps. Otherwise it's going to be a slower process, but we teach things around, you know, thought leadership and, um, and that kind of thing. But, you know, so there's an approach that you can do and you can, uh, you know, find out who some of the operators are. And if you have some kind of a network, see if you can get an opportunity to work with them on doing some due diligence, uh, on the properties, learning about that, learning about how they underwrite and get comfortable with them and just see if you can kind of shadow them a little bit. That would be one idea you might have. And then if there's a role you can carve off uh, with them, maybe you're a person that can help them with due diligence. Maybe you're a person that's really great with marketing communication. You can help them with their decks. Um, maybe you're a person that uh, is good at customer experience skills. So maybe you can work uh, with them, working with custom with their investor base. Or maybe you could bring them, uh, you know, work with them across all of those different assets, which would I do. So I don't just raise capital for an operator. We do due diligence with them. We help them discuss the business plan, how we might be able to add some value that they didn't think about. Uh, we go to the properties with them. We spend time on their marketing and communications of uh, materials, and we help them edit those, and we help, uh, you know, shape those pretty well. And then – uh, we do talk to our investor base about the opportunities. We're educating them about the deal. And then once they're in the deal, we're communicating with those investors. And it could be a three, five. I've got some deals that are five or 10 year holding periods. I'm going to have to be communicating with these investors for that long, you know. So I'll probably never be out of the business. But, you know, it's a big responsibility to keep communicating with these investors. Um, and uh, it's it, you can get involved in a variety of ways. But, um you know, just expose yourself and see where you can add value to and don't ask for, you know, don't ask to be on, you know, get a wage out of this. This should be a side thing that you work your way into. But I find a lot of people like it because it works well with a daytime job. You can, you know, you can have uh, coffees, you can have some lunch meetings, you can have some weekend uh, coffee meetups, you can, you can do some meeting phone calls, you can fit this in, uh, you know, talking to investors and educating them and making sure it's a right fit and, and bringing some capital to the sponsors. Awesome. Great. Well, David, it's been really great talking to you. If our listeners want to uh, reach out to you, what would be the best way they can do that? Yeah. Uh, so, so it's, my email is david at 
thompsoninvesting.com. That's all one word, Thompson Investing, T-H-O-M-P-S-O-N, investing.com. And my website is www.thompsoninvesting.com. So um, the website also has a content capture page. So if you want to give me information there and we can get you on our newsletter and uh, start getting you exposed to some of our blogs and, and things that's available to you to further your education. Awesome. Great. Thank you so much. Yeah. Well, it's Thank been great you talking to you, David. Thanks a lot. Appreciate yes. it. Yeah. Great talking to you. All right. Well, that was David Thompson. Uh, always great talking to David. And I love his niche because it allows him to, those of us who suffer from, suffer from shiny object syndrome, I'm not pointing any fingers. Uh, <laughs> a lot of it is not necessarily because, oh, there's that, and oh, there's that, and oh, there's that. But, it, but there are a lot of really powerful niches out there. And what it allows David to do is be involved in a lot of different niches. Now he's focused. He's not just jumping all over the place willy nilly. And he started with one niche, multifamily, and moved into self storage and then manufactured homes. So yeah, he's essentially he's diversifying, but he's staying within his wheelhouse at the same time. It's the same strategy. It's just taking it to a different market. So I think, I mean, he talked about kind of that diversification within geography and and asset class, and asset class that kind of thing. And, because, and that was really important because it actually reduces your risk. Um, you're not putting all your eggs in one basket. Um, okay, well, so how much knowledge um, does this take? And I think maybe we probably should look at some of these things with doing what David actually does and maybe being an investor in those types of deals because it's a, it's two different, completely different, um, time, money, you know, all that, the commitment is completely different, but I think they're both valid pieces depending on what you want. Yeah. Well, I would say as far as David, the syndicator, David said he spent at least a year. He kind of just, actually, he, he said he just went sort of right into it. Yeah. Uh, but at the end, when he sort of talked about it, he said he recommended about a year uh, of educating yourself on bigger pockets and reading books and um, networking with some of these experienced um, yeah. syndicators. And things Possibly like that. doing a, a program with someone, yeah. mentoring program, that kind yeah. of thing. So awesome. And then as far as your knowledge investment, if you want to do investing with a, a syndication just as a limited partner, I mean, that knowledge base actually doesn't require much. I mean, it's probably days to months worth of time kind of learning and, and it's really his job. What he does is his job to educate you. Um, right. and it didn't sound like there was that much time involved. A lot of it was just sort of logistics and learning about the risk and that kind of thing. So right. even just a 30 minute conversation probably helps someone yeah. who um, is even especially someone who's already sort of experienced in investing in general, even if it's not real estate, but is yeah. you know, has money that they invest in other um, other places, they're probably going to be able to understand the the basics pretty quickly. All right, and as David, as the syndicator, did you get a feel for how much money it took him to get started? Uh, he never really answered that question fully, which is okay. Yeah. Um, I think I would say probably in the uh, thousands was, it depends, you have to be a, an accredited investor, which we didn't actually talk about what that means. Sure. We've talked about it on other um, yeah. other podcasts, but I sort of got the feel that as a syndicator, you can actually 
what I found interesting that David talked about in lieu of money, and that's sort of what the power of syndication is. It's not about so much about the money that he needed to get started, but the track record mm-hmm. and the trust. Yeah. Um, and those are, the, those are his capital starting with. And the way that he built that up is he actually partnered up with people who were experienced and had the track record. Yeah, and also were putting some money towards it. It sounded right. like that as a general partnership, I mean, depending on the deal, I think he said on that $1 million deal, he was saying like someone might bring in 30000 or, yeah. or something along those lines. So, um, you know, if you can, between the general partnership, bring in um, a little chunk or yeah. probably about what an individual investor, if the general partners are investing as much as an individual investor, that's probably that, you know, what they're looking for as a, a minimum. Well, and that is typically, my, my understanding of it is that you typically want um, to invest uh, at least as much as you're asking your limited partners to invest in. So if your minimum investment um, for your investors is $50,000, then the expectation is you're going to invest at least $50,000 yeah. in your own money. Yeah. What's um, nice though, so you can do that as the general partnership yeah. and split that up. So if you don't have that, um, that cash right now, then, yeah. then you, you know, you kind of, you can lend your, your skills, as we said, to yeah. the general partnership and maybe yeah. not as much money. Yeah. And then as far as a limited partner, what he talked about was that Typically, the minimum investment is twenty-five to fifty thousand dollars, and I would say more often than not, in my experience, uh, it's closer to fifty thousand dollars. There are some uh, syndicators who will bring somebody in for that for for less than that, but it's typically fifty thousand dollars. But what you're you're getting out of that is you're a limited partner, uh, which means you're not you're not signing on the loan. Uh, you're insulated from a lawsuit, and you don't have to do any work other than vet the sponsor and vet the deal. Um, and then cash the checks. No, awesome. Well, that uh, brings us to time. Um, so for that limited investor, obviously the time is really minimum. Um, it's all mostly up at the front end of the deal. And then um, you're able to sort of, depends on how, how interested you are. <laughs> um, you know, you could really just take your money and ignore all those emails, all those reports. And, and really not spend much more than a few minutes a month. It's true. Saying, it's truly, it hey, is, money. it's passive investing. That's, it that's really is. It really ultimate. is. I think it's one of the ultimates in passive investing. As far as David. I mean, that, it's hard because it's kind of like if you ask someone who owns their own business, they probably don't know how much time they put in. I mean, as a nutritionist, I have no much, how, I have no idea how much time I put into my actual business because I'm probably doing it 90% of the time, especially because it's something that I love. I work with food, you know, I love it. So he kind of said the same thing. You find something that you love and then you kind of do it and it doesn't feel like you're spending that much time on it. You sort of forget. So um, it sounds like he is putting quite a bit of time in right now or has been this year and that that's something he wants to um sort of curtail a little bit um but you know like i i'm guessing he probably puts in a normal job's worth of time i would say at le- i would say at least 40 yeah. um i'll even go maybe 40 to 49 yeah you know? yeah um but awesome so uh location how location independent is um apartment syndication I would say it's very um, location independent. Guess, um, sorry, not apartment syndication, but syndication, syndication in general. In general. <laughs> um, you know, David. Uh, I know that David. Um, David typically goes and visits 
the properties that he's going to invest in in the, in the beginning when they're doing their underwriting. Um, so there's certainly, he has to be on location there a little bit. And then, but beyond that, it's really just sort of a maybe once a year. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what's nice is that, you know, depending on where you're investing, you can really, if, if you want to have a life where you're traveling a lot, um, you know, that's something that you can kind of build into that. You can go, okay, well, we need to visit, a, a, you know, a, a property that's in this area of Texas. Okay, what, what's around there, you know, or like we have a, you know, like um, you, you could also invest in places that you know you want to be going to regularly, you know. Um, but yeah, there's, there's any kind of amusement parks or, mm-hmm. or scenic places, camping, things like that. You can kind of go, okay, what can I do around here? And, and you get to travel as a, a perk of part of your job and yep. get all those write-offs and yeah. stuff too. Yeah. Lots of benefits to that. Yeah. Um, and then I'll, I guess on the limited investor side, there's really no, it's completely location independent because you're not really doing anything with that. So, yeah. <laughs> and I do know some, we, we spoke to Jeremy Roll, um, back in one of our previous podcasts and he talks about um, he actually as a passive investor he goes and he visits every single one of um, his uh, properties when he's um, investing in it Mm -hmm. Um, but once he does that then you know then he trusts the syndicator they're the ones who are the boots on the ground doing the work yeah Yeah. and that's the choice of the investor some investors might not not go that extra mile so um, really you could infinitely yeah uh, go on without without actually ever visiting a property if you wanted to. Awesome. And if you like this podcast, we would really appreciate it if you take just a few minutes and leave a review for us on iTunes. It's really simple to do. Just go to roadtofamilyfreedom.com slash review for links and instructions. Thanks for listening. We're doing this all again next week. Until then, safe travels. <laughs>